there is a lot of pressure to capture what that performance is in in the first three tracks. I remember shooting Kanye West, but instead of three songs, he gave photographers five minutes at the beginning of his set because this is during when he was uh, he was having a lot of paparazzi issues, and I right. think he just had hated photographers. So he's like, you know what, I'm going to give him five minutes at the very beginning. And uh, the beginning of his set was dark. It was blackness for five minutes. So we had zero light to work with. And I was like, fuck you, Kanye, you got us. <laughs> G'day, this is Living the Dream, a podcast from Gage Roads, where you'll hear from people who are all about going after what they love. We'll chat to photographers, musos, surfers, designers, a range of people who are living life their way. All right, no doubt some of my most vivid memories are from live gigs. A lot of you are probably the same. You can instantly remember that feeling of anticipation before the artist is about to come out onto stage. If you think about it, you can probably still feel that energy from all the people around you. You probably don't have to think too hard. You can still hear the last song of the final encore. It's an epic feeling, and I reckon there's no better connection between strangers and people you don't know. So if you're a music photographer... How do you capture something so visceral, so in the moment? Well, that's what Pat Stevenson does best. He's one hell of a live photographer. He's toured with massive artists and festivals. He's shot epic club nights for a long time too, and he definitely knows how to capture a vibe. Pat, g'day. Hey, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, How much pressure do you feel trying to capture a fleeting moment of a live show? There's a lot of pressure these days, mate, because, um, I mean, I've been in the game for quite some time, but there's a lot of junior photographers who are coming through the ranks right now are doing some really, really cool and interesting things uh, and shooting things in a way that I never thought about capturing a a band or a a DJ. So, uh, you know, you always want to be the best at what you do. Um, So there's a lot of a lot of pressure trying to capture that moment, especially a lot of the time you only have, you know, an hour to um to be everywhere in the venue as well so especially the 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 bigger venues you do some legwork mate you get the k's in i wish i had my uh my pedometer on you could (laughs) see all the steps i'm doing but yeah the definitely the the pressure is on man but i I love that i love living in that moment and um just working as hard as you can for that hour or that 90 minutes that you have when you're working with a band did you always enjoy that side of it that adrenaline rush and that pressure that comes with the gig or was it something that you had to learn to embrace well, I think when I first got into it, I didn't realize the pressure, you know, I thought, okay, well, when I first started, all I had was three songs, you know, when, when you're working with a publication um, or a website or something, you, you go, okay, you, you're shooting for them and the band tends to just give you the, the first three songs. So give it three songs instead of the whole hour, there is a lot of pressure to capture what that whole, the, the performance is in, in the first three tracks. I remember shooting, um, Kanye West at it's called the Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney now I can't remember what it was called then um, but instead of three songs he gave photographers five minutes at the beginning of his set because this is during when he was uh, he was having a lot of paparazzi issues and I right. think he just had hated photographers so he's like well, you know what I'm going to give him five minutes at the very beginning and uh, the beginning of his set was dark it was blackness for five <laughs> minutes so we had zero light to work with and I was like fuck you, Kanye, you got us. <laughs> <laughs> what did you manage to get out of that? Do you remember? Well, um, I mean, I was, this 2008, I was still very junior. Um, I just remember just cranking the settings out of my um, my camera 
And there was like, there was one backlight. He was kind of silhouetted against this one backlight, but you could see all the other photographers just scrambling. Um, so I kind of, I rested my camera on the stage so I could kind of use the stage as a tripod. And and Kanye was standing quite still then as well. And uh, so I kind of got this interesting low low um, light, long exposure photograph of, of Kanye silhouetted against a backlight. Um, and I, you know, I think I've still got the photos somewhere tucked away, but uh, I think I managed to to get out of that uh, situation with a couple of usable images. Um, I was shooting for inthemix.com.au back then, and I don't think they were very happy with my shots. But, uh, <laughs> I tried to I tried to explain. Yeah, blame Mr. West. It wasn't me. <laughs> I swear it's his problem. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. You mentioned um, the the young crew coming through and they're doing different things. What are you What are you seeing? What What is different and new and, and exciting for you at the moment in this world? Well, I mean, I, I when I first started shooting, I was shooting on film, um, not so much music stuff, but uh, you know, I come from that background where you kind of what you capture through your camera is what what you've got you know it's you don't have the power of photoshop you don't have any of that but i think the new generation they just completely rely well they don't rely but they're embracing um that the the tools that are in front of them and you know you such powerful software like uh, adobe lightroom and photoshop and and all this other editing software you can turn a very average image into something that's next level. Um, or you can take a great image into something that is phenomenal uh, with your editing skills. There's a photographer by the name of Jordan Munns. He's one of my favorite Australian photographers. And the way that he edits his his images, he, he you know, he'll, he'll cut around the subject if they're reaching out towards the camera and he, he'll layer that over something else. And he just really utilizes the skills that are in front of him. He's the skills. I think he's a graphic designer as well as a photographer. So you can really see that shine through his images. And I'm like, man, I don't have those skills. I can't compete. I just have to shoot whatever I can through the, through the camera. Yeah. I suppose everyone has their own strengths though, right? So you coming up through the film world, uh, you, you might be uh, have a little bit more awareness or um, or focus on what you're actually doing with the with the tool in your hand but for others maybe it comes in in post that's that's kind of the beauty of it right yeah and and I think both sides of the coin have, have got their positives as yeah. well you know like I, I'm not discounting people who use editing software I think that's fantastic I want to see more of that because it's a, it's its own art form you know so I think yeah things are skewing a little bit differently you can see a lot of post processing going into images but I think it's an exciting time. Yeah. Do you get back to the film world very often? Uh, look, I'd I like to shoot um, a little bit. I've got like this old 70s camera, which my dad gave me, you know, it's fully manual. It's just like real bare bones camera. I like to use that every now and then, but I'm so impatient. I want to see my photos <laughs> now. I, I don't want to wait two weeks until I get the photos uh, processed. Yeah. So so I, I'm not using... Um, film as much as i'd like to be but uh, it's always fun using it because you know you've only got you know 24 images or 36 images whatever is on the roll to uh to tell a story yeah it just ramps it up a little bit um mm. I, I was talking at the top about you know my memories of, of live gigs and how visceral they can be and the feeling and the the connection H- how tough is it to capture that in a single frame and and do you do you can you sense that story of, of what's going on when you're at a show yeah, it's so tough to. I mean, it's it's one thing to be front row looking up at a band and and having the you know the the sound of the crowd around you and the booming speakers in front of you and to try to translate that into an image so people at home or on their phones can can get that same feeling. It's so tough to to match it. But 
Um, I find if you, you know if you shoot like a nice wide lens, you're kind of capturing more of the surrounds, and that's how a good way to sort of tell a story. But it's it made so tough to to match what is happening in front of you. Yeah. Um, so the people who can do that successfully, and and I try to do that as well. I I definitely tip my hat to them because it's not easy. So where did it all start for you? I know you mentioned the the camera, the old seventies camera that your old man gave you, but where did the the love of photography first begin? Well, to be honest, it was with that camera, man. And I this is like early 2000s, late 90s. Um, I used to be really into the graffiti scene in Sydney. Sydney actually had a – many people don't know this, but it was just like a really electrifying um, just – this energy around the Australian hip hop movement and graffiti and rapping and DJing like that was really huge back then. Uh, Triple J used to play a lot of Aussie hip hop back in the day. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit cringe these days, but, and also the, the music has changed a lot as well, but back then it was kind of very true to the original form of what hip hop was, you know, the, or the breaking side of it and all that. So I, I loved to go out there with this camera and I'd jump over the, the fence at the train lines and I'd go and take photographs of um, graffiti in, in the area that I grew up with because I just loved the art form and catching the train every day, you'd see new pieces pop up and you'd figure out who was who and what crews they were painting with. And that's my way that I tried to get involved with the scene was to, to capture it on my, on my old school film camera. Uh, and then I started to meet people through it and there's a lot of people who are, Still old friends. I mean, Golden Features used to be a graffiti writer back in the day. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of um, musos who kind of come from that background as well. Were they appreciative of you almost documenting their work? Because it's temporary work a lot of the time, right? It's up and it's gone. That's it, man. Like, without the photograph, that image didn't really – well, that piece didn't really exist. And there used to be a, a an internet forum called Town Hall Steps, which is um, – you know, obviously named after Sydney Town Hall where you get all the, the goths and the emos yeah. and the, the ravers and the jocks and everyone would just be sitting on the steps. It was like the – it was the meeting place before you had Instagram, Facebook or anything like that. And it, so there was an online version, Town Hall Steps, and you'd have, you know, the graffiti forums. You'd have the rave forums. And it was just like a Sydney spot where everyone could mingle and chat and meet up. And that's where I used to scan my photos in and share them on that forum and a lot of people would – would love this it's kind of like getting that dopamine release of on instagram and stuff but this is back in the day where people would comment under your photo like yeah man thanks for getting that pic i love it that's sick so this is like yeah pre-social media dopamine rush which i used to love yeah that's that's really interesting it's probably times 10 right because you couldn't just pick up your phone to take a look you had to wait till someone like you had, had gone and done the work and was showing it around on the steps of town hall um do, has that changed due to social media do, do you still see that with because i remember when i was living in sydney town hall was still a bit of a a bit of a melting pot of people coming together but do, do you still see that so much it's also spread out now with social media with instagram facebook all that stuff it's um everything is kind of diluted a little bit because yeah. back in the day you didn't have much choice you know if you wanted to reach out to other people who were into your similar interests there was the one place to go online which would be you know town hall steps uh and it was which is like an old school internet forum. Like you'd have to create an account and have your like little avatar, you know, next to your name and people would really get to know you. But now it's like you can – there's so many ways that you can reach out and speak to people uh, that have got similar interests than you. 
Um, I guess that kind of ended up turning into like what the nightclub used to be. You know, if you're into a certain type of music, you would go to a like Club 77 on a Friday night because you knew the sort of music that would be playing there. And that's how you can kind of meet up with your your kinfolk, you know, that they're the people that you speaks to you because they love your music. But now it's kind of mad. Sydney's like lost that mojo, dude, like the lock, the the lockouts and COVID's really thrown a span in the works and we just, it's kind of weird these days, man. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. What what do you think had more impact on, say, the cross and that and that scene? Was it the the lockout laws that, that came through or was it a, a post kind of COVID situation where people, you know, went around for a year or so? Mate, you know what? Controversial opinion coming through, but I would spend, you know, three, four nights a week in King's Cross, and this is before the lockouts happened. King's Cross was already dying. Like I had noticed, less and less people were coming into the cross because I'd be DJing at like Kit and Caboodle on a Friday night, and then across to Hugo's on a Saturday night, and then Well Bar on a Sunday night. You know, I, I was out there, and I, I noticed less and less people were coming in. Still, it was massive. You know, still thousands of people on a Friday and Saturday night. But King's Cross was already on the demise. I felt right before the the lockouts happened the lockouts was kind of like the uh the nail in the coffin whatever it is you know like yeah. it was it was kind of just put it to bed and then um i guess COVID really sort of prolonged that death but i feel like we are at the cusp of things coming back it's it's a bit weird it's a bit homogenized because a lot of the you know ivy thursdays you'll have a line from the the club all the way up to martin place thousands of kids but back in the day, there used to be eight, nine clubs on a Thursday night that you'd go to different vibes, different sounds. So it was more spread out. But yeah. now it's, yeah, it's, everyone just goes to the one spot. Um, but I'm hoping, look, Lily's kids are coming out, you know, at least that they're coming out and having a good time. But I feel like they just need to get educated a little bit and yeah. have some options. Yeah, it's interesting. That that descent, even before the the lockout laws that that you noticed, do you know why? Was it, was it? A changing in who was going out and what they were seeking in a place like the the cross. I think the music uh, scene was evolving a lot. You know, dubstep was coming in. It was becoming a lot more broy. Like you, yeah. it was attracting this shitty crowd. Because uh, like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you had like cut copy the presets. Like it was the most electrifying time for for Australian music. We're really living on a high and then as you start getting into year 2010 2011 skrillex all that sound became big and it just became really unattractive to go to clubs they're all putting on these dubstep nights and it was just real broy and full of masculine douchebags and it just became less attractive to go out as a clubber there's not so much love anymore it was just like mosh pits and shit so the whole scene was kind of evolving and i, I think the crowds reflected that do you still like to go out and and do the club thing Mate, I was in Melbourne with Hayden James over the weekend till four o'clock in the morning <laughs> while he, he did a DJ set. And I'm 38 years old and I had the best time. You still so, got it. Yeah, man, I still love it. Like, it's a good time. When the, the DJs, like, lost Sundays, which is at Ivy on a Sunday, some of the best times of my life over the past year. They've got such great music selection good representation of, of um, female female DJs just killing it. And, I mean, it's like it's a Sunday Arvo that stretches in. It doesn't go too late. You know, it's good for my sketch. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm in bed, bed by midnight. It's all good. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it just – like, if the if the music's on, then I'm out and I'm, I'm about it. And it is slowly getting back there. But, uh, yeah, I think there just needs to be a, f- a little bit more selection for – 
for the punters out there. And I think that's got to happen going into 2024. Yeah, maybe you're starting just to see the, the little sparks of that coming back. Um, you mentioned before some of the, the things that really got you into photography was that early graph scene uh, in Sydney. Was there, is there a photo that you look back on now or at the time where you thought, wow, I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. this. This might be what I do with my life. Yeah, I think um, when I started to use the skills that I'd picked up uh, taking photos of um, graffiti at nighttime, then I kind of, I kind of took that into wanting to take photos uh, at at nightclubs. I remember like lining up at Sounds on Sunday at the Greenwood, and a photographer walked past me um, while I'm like I'm lined like dude I'm like an hour into this line. This is the spot to go to on Sundays. This photographer just walks past me, goes, looks at the door girl. He's like, yep, with his camera. And she's like, gives him drink cards and goes into the venue. I'm like, bro, dude, I've got a camera. I could totally do that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sick. I'm going to try that next week. Hey, I'm going to bring my camera. So I brought it and I like skipped the queue and went up. I'm like, hey, um, Pat Stevenson should be on the door uh, shooting for in the mix.com. I was not like, I'm not credited at all. I was just talking through my ass. And she's like, you're not here, but you've got the camera. So here's a couple of drink cards and have a good night. I was like, oh, dude, I'm doing this every weekend. <laughs> so I rocked up each week. And with like, I think I was borrowing my brother's digital camera at the time, a little uh, Canon thing, barely even, like the photo sucked. But I was getting in and I was practicing every week, mainly taking photos of my friends uh, and then just doing it over and over and over and over again. I probably, probably did it for about four months every weekend. And then had it like a good back catalogue of images. And then I actually took it to In The Mix. And I said, hey, uh, I see you guys are looking for contributors. I'd love to like actually be officially put on the door. Uh, and they're like, yeah, no worries. Your photos are good. You you know, you need to tweak this a little bit, fix your flash. And I'm like, yep, yeah, no worries. And uh, and then, yeah, man, they like took me on. And I was like an In The Mix official photographer. I was so stoked. Boom, the moment has happened. It's fantastic. Uh, I remember going so much out into the clubs that I ended up networking and meeting all the other photographers who are out and about. And there was a group of guys called Hobo Gestapo, quite a rough name, but, you know, it was 2007. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's okay, but, no, you know, it was pretty pretty rough days. Yeah. Uh, and, and they took me under their wing and they, they just decided to show me how to use a camera. They actually lent me a proper Nikon DSLR with a proper flash on it. And we used to do like photo schools and go to go over to Wes, one of the guys' houses. And I'm like, how do you make the background blurry in photos? You know, like all this stuff now, which is so simple. <laughs> but he's like, oh, okay, that's you got to use your aperture, and this is how you use the ISO and the shutter speed in relation to this. So it's kind of like getting a photo tutorial. Uh, and yeah, he used to like take me under his wing, and we'd go out clubbing together and take party photos. And then, you know, I started being uh, working with the hobo guys for the next decade and that's kind of really how i got into photography yeah right so it was really you know, learning on the job in a lot of ways and and at some point those guys taking you under their wing a little bit oh man 100 percent. it's just like talking shit and networking to people really got me to where i am today yeah i mean all networking is is talking to people that you're interested in right I mean, it, it, yeah, it's yeah, weird. The word it's got networking. A, yeah, it sounds <laughs> horrible, right? But really all it is is talking to people who are doing something maybe better than you're doing it and asking for some help. It's, it's, it's quite humble. 
Yeah, and showing a gen a genuine interest, you know, not just being in it for for the drink cards, which was fantastic. Well, you but know, actually, it's a nice addition. <laughs> I am a tight ass, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but uh, been actually loving the moment and going out and and embracing every element of the evening. Um, I think they saw that in me, and yeah, I ended up shooting with those guys up until about 2018, 2019, where the company ended up sort of just falling out just because of uh you know the night scene just being dead. Yeah. in sydney but i ended up bringing up a whole bunch of genuine uh, junior photographers um through the scenes and i tried to tell them and teach them what i'd been taught uh, a decade beforehand and i still keep in touch with the, all those those guys they're all doing really well on their own right yeah. yeah interesting so for you was it satisfying going through that experience yourself and thinking back to how uh, someone lent you a helping hand to be able to mentor kids a decade later or whatever it was yeah, man. Like, I just love seeing people who who want to get into the scene, and it's just um, it's tough because it's a flooded market. But you can tell the the people who are genuinely interested in what they they want to create, and it's good to give them a um, an avenue to to be able to to do that. And to this day, like, if I've got a, a gig coming up and I can see there's like a junior photographer who wants to get into that scene. I'll bring them along. And I mean, I've got a, a food photo shoot this afternoon, and I've got um, uh, a girl's going to come along, and I'm going to teach her how to. She's going to teach her how to use the lights, and you know certain tips that I use to shoot the food and the bev. It's like you know you got to always try to try to put back into the scene, which has given you so much. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, I know you've been on a lot of you know different tours, touring with bands or different festivals and things like that as well. It sounds like the most fun gig going around, but how hard do you have to work when you when you're on tour? It's uh, it sounds like it's fun and it's all smiles, but you definitely have to apply yourself. The people who who don't apply themselves and just sort of float along, they're not going to make it. Like editing the photos after a huge gig is very very tough because you'll be up till about four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But people need those photos straight away, you know. So you're a lot of lack of sleep. You're only on like three hours sleep a night, especially when you're in multiple cities, um, and getting on that flight when you're pretty hungover difficult very difficult <laughs> with the tight turnaround <laughs> attached to it um yeah, yeah lack of sleep hangover but look it's mate, I, I love it all and i missed all that during the pandemic so uh it's it's tough but it's worth it man is it a, an easy trap for new players to get too carried away with the with the party side of it oh man a hundred percent it's so like that's such like an attractive part of the whole thing you know it's it's the free booze it's hanging out backstage it's bottles of tequila in front of you just like oh i could drink all that um <laughs> and you know there's other things that have been thrown around as well so it's you've got to sometimes the power of saying no is very tough um but it's it's very powerful as well you gotta you just gotta say no thanks just got working i gotta work what and then there's, there's those times though where you're like no i need to go hang out with this person because this is gonna be fun i'm gonna learn a few things and it, it might help me get a gig next time mate the, the the amount of time that i've gone to an after party and like created work based on that after party it's huge i remember the picking duck guys telling me like when they were first starting out they would just hang out with promoters and just be buds with them and that's how they got the gigs because the promoter wanted to hang out with these people you know like they're fun to kick it with yeah. so yeah book them in and then you know getting enough gigs they started getting a following down in canberra and then it builds like snowballs from that. So, yeah, it's definitely like 
people who just sort of go to the gig and then go home, they're going to miss out on so much uh, important, as we like to say, networking. It's a fine line. Um, the Peking Duck guys, I don't know them at all, but they just seem very, like they're fun, but they seem very genuine, authentic, like good good people. Like, do, do, do you know them well? Yeah, man. I've been working with them since 2012. Um, both my best friends as well, you know, like yeah, right. they would be my be- best men if I got, I got married. We've, uh, we've seen the world together. I was, t- I tour managed them around America. Um, Ruben and I go down to the snow many times a year together and sleep on single beds in dodgy hotels in Cooma. That's how you got to do uh, it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I love them, man. They like, I think it's the camp. I, find, I tend to find I'm friends with people who are from like rural areas in Australia or from out the suburbs. They're just, I don't know, people who grew up in the CBD are a bit weird. <laughs> I connect more with like these characters from these small towns. They're a bit more uh, open, all, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. They've got interesting stories as well and they're a little bit cooked in the head, which I love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up in Hornsby, so it's oh, like, yeah. what, 45 minutes northwest of Sydney, well, um, in, the, in the suburbs. But, yeah, um, yeah that kind of – I mean, I've got some good friends from the from the CBD, don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, no, they, I like people who've got their own story, and the Peking Duck guys have definitely got a story to tell. When you're out shooting a festival and it's show after show, does it become easier to capture an act by show two or show three? Do you start to understand – their routine on stage a little bit and almost, you know, get into position knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, man, this is, um, see, you can fall into a trap of just getting comfortable and cause you know what they're going to do and where they're going to be. You kind of start just shooting the same stuff, but right. uh, you have to set yourself a challenge. Uh, every, every time you shoot them, it's like, how can I capture this differently? Like you were just constantly challenging yourself. How am I going to do this differently? But the way that, you know, the set's flowing, it's kind of cool. Like Hot Dub Time Machine, I've been shooting with him over a decade and and his set has kind of, the structure of it has always been the same, but it, it changes a lot within that structure. But there's there's moments like, I think like around 2010 or the year 2000, like he works through the years um, of, of music, you know, chronologically. And uh, around the year 2000, I think we do a family photo. So no matter where I am in the venue, I bolt up to the stage. I get my camera on a, a monopod on a fisheye lens and I stand up like up on one of the decks is and he goes out to the crowd and we get this huge photo of the whole room, you know, with their hands up in the sky. And I've got such a selection now of all those family photos over the, the past 10 years. It's, it's so good, man. But yeah. It's it's great to sort of know the, the, the general structure of a set and um, you can I think it definitely places you in the best position to, to capture it. How good that you've got that now. You know those little traditions that you start and you're not sure if it's going to be something, but now 10 years later you've got a run of these family photos and each one makes it the past one more special in a, in a way. Um, yeah, and you see the room grow as well. Like yeah. he used to play a sold-out Metro, but now he's doing – Horton pavilions or like uh and more theaters and 20,000 people 30,000 people at music festivals he was just over at edinburgh and did like 5,000 people over there but did multiple shows but they love him over over there at the edinburgh fringe um so yeah it's kind of good to see the evolution of that I, actually i should put all those photos together in some sort of poster or something that would be cool yeah it'd be really cool um on the crowd you, you, you mentioned that but do you love shooting a crowd or is that a frustrating part of the job? Um, 
it's tough sometimes because you're everyone is having that one night that they've saved up for for the past two weeks and they're just like ready to explode so there's a lot of energy out there and you get poked and prodded and groped and it's pretty pretty rough and especially depending like what the what the the, uh, the band or the dj yeah. is but uh i don't mind it man because contextually the crowd tells you a lot about the band as well so one of my favorite crowds to shoot is uh violent soho they okay. have got the best crowds some of my favorite crowd shots like people crowd surfing and just being launched into the air at a violent soho gig it's so fun to shoot man all i have to do is point my camera and just bop 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 because bop, you're bound to get something i've got one shot where it looks like a girl has just spawned on top of like the mosh pit because it looks like she's just dropped out of the air <laughs> and uh she's like upside down i'm like how did she get that high i think it was at laneway festival um uh, so they're they're always great, but like walking through the crowd and sort of getting posed portraits and stuff. I try not to do that. I try to capture the people in their element, having a good time, hands in the air, screaming like you know, tomorrow doesn't care. It's tonight. Tonight's all that matters. Uh, and they're the photos that I really think resonate really well with me. It's just far more interesting, isn't it, than the the posed, you know, hand over shoulder, smiling at the camera thing. Oh. You capture a moment and it tells a story. You know, it's it's deeper. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I hate that post stuff. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that Violent Soho, um, there's a, it's one of the most fun crowds to be in for me anyway, but there's an epic shot when I used to work at Triple J in, in Sydney and there was a, a massive photo just of a crowd uh, and it was just like a sea and it was crazy in one, of the, in one of the main studios. And I remember the first time I walked in there, and I was, it was not, you, you didn't know who the band was. It was just of the crowd from the stage. And it turned out that it was a violent Soho gig. And yeah, every time like I hear them, I just think of that, that photo, which was just absolutely epic and crazy. And yeah, you could just feel the, the energy from it. Mate, there is one of my favorite photos taken at a violent Soho gig. It's by a photographer called Kanye Lenz. I can't remember what his actual name is, but he's secured a camera to the ceiling of the venue and he's got it like on a wide lens and it's shooting down onto the crowd and it's just like he's remotely triggered it from the roof so it's like this point of view that no one ever sees and i actually tried to copy that shot um with hot dub time machine and i got something similar but it's just not as good but just to have this unique point of view directly above entire mosh pit and and um violent soho just rocking out i'm sure if you just google uh, Kanye lens violence Soho you'll you'll be able to see the photo but he's fantastic what an idea that's uh that's epic is there a uh, a standout photo for you that you're you're most proud of or a few that maybe sit you know on your podium um oh man it's 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 so tough to pick one moment from yeah. shooting for the past 15 years <laughs> uh like if I went through all the archives of each artist that I've shot I'd be like yeah that moment that moment but I mean, man, I'm just so thankful for for everything I've been able to experience so far. Um, I think the pandemic really made me realize that. I was like, oh man, I've actually had such a good life, been able to capture all this stuff, and I'm, I'm I can't wait to be able to put together a book of. I mean, I've shot like Splendor in the Grass for 15 years. I I could create a Splendor book. Like, I just need to put because online it just it's there a second and then it's gone. I just want someone to make something tangible something to hold in your hand so I can be like, you know, one day when I pass on or have a family or something, I'll be like, this is what I created. This yeah. is a proof of work, you know? 
yeah, there's 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 a legacy there, or even something to to look back on. Do you do you look back on your past work that often, or are you more focused on what's next? I do, man. I love to look back because like you got to sort of see what you were, what you've created, and sometimes I look back at photos from like 2015. I'm like, what the heck? I was shooting really good then. Like, what's happened? Am, <laughs> am I falling off? And you got to constantly challenge yourself to to be um to be innovating and it's uh it's good to look back at your stuff man i think it's healthy um because yeah you've got to figure out what what you've been doing and and see stuff that you like and stuff that you didn't like back then and and constantly yeah trying to evolve i'm always like in my notes app i'm making like live music uh photos like different concepts to to shoot always trying to innovate uh because you don't want to Man, the moment that you stagnate, it's you just be forgotten about. You've constantly always got to one up yourself. Where do you get your most creative ideas from, or when do they do they strike you at a particular moment, or is it is it just random for you? Well, I'll, sometimes I'll find inspir- like I'll be looking at a Pinterest for a job that's coming up for a fashion shoot, and I'll see someone who shot a model in a certain way. I'm like, what if I took that concept and I took it over to like a live music gig? Right. You know, like like using flash, um, you know, studio flash lights and, and jerry rigging them to the, the stage and using them to create some interesting portraits while the artist is performing. So sort of trying to blend different, I guess like with music, you know, like where you had the whole hip hop scene come along is because they took different vibes from different, um, you know, from breaks and from jazz and speeding, like, you know, Kanye West, like speeding up old school, records yeah. and like creating his beats you know you always you got to find inspiration from other areas and try to bring that into to what you're doing and just being open to the world man like just being being a bit of a sponge and just sort of going when you watch a band or when you watch a movie see what they're doing in the cinematography and just constantly try to draw inspiration from different parts of your life what's on your walls at home Oh, dude, I've got a massive poster in front of me of all the ski fields that are in the world. Like, and it's got, pin, it's got pins in it of every place I want to go and ski in the world. So it's so unrelated to photography. <laughs> How many and then pins? next to that, I've got, I got, got a Dr. Dre um, record cover like framed next to that. Um, but how many pins? I've got like six pins. But what? I'm going – I've just booked a trip around the world in um, January to go to uh, North America, to Europe and uh, Japan to ski. Oh, how good. So you'll be um, ticking off a few of those bucket list spots in one hit. Yeah, but I mean, this all kind of, this ties back. I'm going to go to Queenstown in two weeks to shoot Snow Machine Music Festival. So I'm going to be like snowboarding down the mountain with a camera around my shoulder, um, taking photos of like artists bombing over jumps and stuff. So, you know, it all ties back, mate. It's all a tax write-off. You've got to make it work for you. <laughs> I love that. Uh, combining your two loves, that's going to be um, a fun time in a fortnight. Um, I wanted to ask you something uh, that was outside your your work and maybe more of a personal photo because I was going through some of your stuff uh, and you shared something that was really personal. There are a few personal moments that, that you shared in this piece and, and one was of your grandmother in, in what you described as her, her final moments and she's in a bed and she's looking over at a photo of your grandfather who, who'd passed away yeah. many years earlier. It was such a beautiful yeah, photo. There was so much beautiful beauty in that and, and sadness all in that one moment. But mm-hmm. how special is that photo to you? Well, I felt I, 
when I took the photo, I felt really bad because there's my gra- grandmother, super vulnerable in a, you know, a nursing home, just like days away from passing away. And we could all tell that it was, she was on her last legs. But when I saw her, like her head sort of leaning to and looking towards my grandfather, who she deeply loved and adored, I was just like, I need to capture this. And and there's sometimes there's moments there where you're like, should I be taking my a photo now? And then after the fact, you go, no, I'm very happy that I did take that because that's a great memory to have of my grand grandmother. You know, it's like she's not around anymore, but it's like it's always such a beautiful memory that's etched in my brain. Uh, and thankfully, due to the photograph, all my aunties and my uncles and my cousins, they can share that moment that I witnessed um, on that day. So. Yeah, man, it's so it's so important to to see that sort of stuff and and to capture it. Um, I'm very thankful I did take that photo. Yeah, the, the, it's just amazing. I imagine your family is just so happy that they they have something like that, a moment that they can they can draw on, uh, and it just sums up the love between two people in a, in a really unique way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's on the other side of the coin, like being in the cross back in the day, I saw some pretty hectic shit and I was like, fuck, should I take photos now? Uh, like a, a dude had just been stabbed. I was like, should I be documenting this? And I think it does tell a story um, as, as harsh as it can be. And it, and it might be a bit crazy, but I think, yeah, it is, is very important to capture those moments. Is that, that must be very tough in the moment to make what really is a moral decision. Yeah. Uh, well, I kind of I took I took the photo out of an instinct. I, it happened like yeah. he got stabbed in the in the leg, in his femoral artery, which is you know the main artery which feeds your leg. And there was a lot of blood. But my hand just kind of grabbed the camera and took two photos. It's him like standing up with his jeans just covered in blood, and then him lying on the ground and someone's just diving on his leg to try to stop the bleeding. But all that happened in like three point five seconds. I took a couple of photos, and then as soon as I realized what had happened. I was screaming out, trying to find a medic. Yeah. Um, thankfully, there was like yeah, an, an off-duty nurse there who came over and rendered aid and saved his life. But it just happened so quick, man. And I feel, I guess, for photo for journalists, you know, over there shooting wars and and stuff on the front line, it's like they don't have time to think. They've just got to capture it. Um, I mean, I'm not a photojournalist, but I try to capture what's really happening around me. So I guess in in a way I could be. Yeah, I think so. Those, they tell a story, right? Those those photos. And and what's the lesson there? Go go with your gut. Trust your yeah, instincts. Just do it. Just don't get in trouble. Yeah. Don't be a dick. <laughs> don't be a dick. It's kind of good yeah. life advice all around, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, are there shots that you you think about now that you you might have missed, or a moment that you've seen just half a second too late that you wish you had the opportunity to capture? Every single day. I notice this. I'm like, oh, that just happened. And sometimes I have to get them to repeat it, and it's just not genuine then. Yeah. Like, especially with shooting music, there'll be something that happens right in front of me. I'm like, fuck. I like, I was out of focus. I didn't have the right lens on. But I think it's good to notice those moments have existed, so you can look for hopefully a repetition. You know, if there's like a light that shines across the crowd that light's programmed to probably do that sweep across the crowd again to capture a silhouette of someone on shoulders. So you're like, okay, I saw that once it may happen again. So, and sometimes it won't ever happen again, man. Like, but sometimes like I have captured that moment and and I've been lucky enough to get it, but you can't get it every time. That's it. It's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. 
Hey, Pat. Um, it was so good to have a chat to you. Thanks for for making some time. Um, enjoy the uh, enjoy the snow in a couple of weeks and the uh, the big trip as well. We'll be um, watching your Insta to see uh, how it all took took part and see what you capture from it. Mate, thanks for having me. That's living the dream by Gage Rhodes. Gage is an indie brewer just out of Frio in WA that's all about going after it and having an epic time with a few brews. Check them out at gageroads.com.au. Thanks again for having a listen. Subscribe so you don't miss an app. Share it with your mates. Chuck us a rating. And get in touch if there's someone you want to hear from on the potty. I'm Jamie Burnett. Cheers.